ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 17th episode of Bantering the Blue Shirts. I am your host, Joe Fortunato, joined as always by my co-hosts, Michael Murphy and Beth Macklin. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. You know, we, we all should be in relatively good moods. The New York Rangers beat the Islanders in their first preseason game yesterday by a rousing 5-2 to two score. Uh, we are going to cover yeah. probably the, the gambit today. We're going to talk a little bit about some preseason battles. Adam Herman is going to be joining us probably in the next five or ten minutes for the rest of the show. Um, there is surprisingly a lot to talk about and not really a lot of negative things to talk about. I uh, had a 1,500-word monster of an article this morning that was probably littered those and grammatical errors Beth has just gotten too sick and tired of correcting um, and I did it sort of like a stock market which is what I did last year in terms of player stocks rising and falling um, and there was far more positive than there was negative really the the big takeaways from last night I would say would be Mika Zibinijad, Pavel Buchnevich, Adam Clendenning, uh, Chris Strider and, um, you know, I think we saw a lot of really good things out of some players that we wanted to see good things out of. And then I think we saw some really bad things out of players we wanted to see good things out of as well. But we're, uh, we're going to get into that later. Uh, just a reminder to all of you, we are permanently on Wednesdays at 8 o'clock from now on. So thank you all for sticking with us and uh, coming around. The chat room starting to fill up. We are officially on Google Play. If you go to my Twitter account, which is now verified, a little... Uh, Pat on the back for myself. You can see all of the different places. Oh, my God. pin tweet is, if my head wasn't big enough before, for those of you who have met me, uh, it is even bigger now. And it's really a problem getting in and out of rooms in my house. But uh, my pin tweet has all of the different places that you can find the show, be it iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. You can also find us, as always, on Blog Talk Radio, on Blue Shirt Banter. And I think we're, we're going to try to get on SoundCloud at some point. I'm trying to figure that out. But um, a lot of different places that you can see us for sure. Guys, the Rangers won their first preseason game yesterday. Uh, obviously, you don't want to put too much stock into game one of the preseason where you're pretty much rolling maybe eight NHL players against another team's eight NHL players. But from what you saw, as Beth said, she was surprisingly content and she didn't really know what to do with herself. Beth, why don't you kick us off? What were your thoughts on last night? Oh, you know what? I could just think about that one line and be happy, you know, as if Kreider's been waiting for, you know, the line mates that were going to let him take some sort of leadership role. I'm not really sure what happened there, but just to click like that over and over again, um, so much pretty stuff going on from them. It was a pleasure to watch them and, I really don't think I've felt that way about a full line as a unit in a while to just notice, um, and especially so early, too. That kind of chemistry, that kind of performance, delivering, um, made me really happy. Um, And like you said, I've decided to be content with, with what I saw. I'll forget that I saw Brady Shea on his ass spinning in circles at one point. I'll forget that. Look at me forgetting it. And, um, yeah, just just focus on that line and think that we saw good things and the things that we had hoped were going to be positive do seem to be delivering. Yeah, I think, well, Mike, do you have anything you want to add before we jump into uh, sort of some of what Beth went into? 
Uh, I think the big takeaway I had is it's really good to see um, kind of an on-ice and off-ice thing, but Buchnevich and Kreider um, clearly getting along. I think it's actually a really big deal. Kreider speaks a little bit of Russian, um, so that's obviously a big factor for a guy that, uh, as Dylan McElrath pointed out, doesn't speak a lick of English. So um, it's it's nice to see that there is something there for uh, Buchnevich to be a little more comfortable. Um, apparently he was pretty nervous about this first game, but um, I thought that that was that was a very promising thing. And the other big thing was how good, granted, you know, preseason and the competition and everything, but how good Zabinajad looked. Um, it's not going to be easy for people to forget about Broussard. He was a very popular player here for good reason, but um, one the one game preseason sample size on Zabinajad looks pretty good. I think the, when you really get into the beginning of the preseason, there is so much filler that you have to deal with from a media standpoint. You know, everybody's looking for the story that the other guy doesn't have. They're all recycling the same quotes over and over again. And there were two things that were mentioned uh, that I think we all got really excited about, but you didn't really know if it was filler or not. The first was that Chris Kreider had come in with a little bit more focus and a little bit more determination. And I think there's proof in the pudding that that is absolutely true, just based off of what we saw in that first preseason game. Kreider talked about making it a focus this summer for him to crash the net more. We saw a lot of that. He scored a goal. He set up a couple of chances. He screened on Mikkelrath's goal. So really you can't be disappointed with anything you're looking at in terms of Chris Kreider. When it comes to that line as a whole, though, Vigneault talked about how that line was the most exciting line the first few practices at training camp. And, and again, you're talking about guys who are playing against ECHL washouts, tryouts, guys that nine players who are already sent back to their junior teams are released from their contracts. And I think we saw that the proof is in the pudding there as well. That line was ridiculously dominant. And we've talked a lot about how the New York Rangers really don't have that right-handed shooter who's going to put the puck in the back of the net. Zabinijad looks like he can be that. Again, disclaimer, it's one game of the preseason. But there is no stopping that line in terms of focusing on one guy. You focus on Kreider, Zabinijad can score, Buchnevich can set him up, they can both do the opposite things. You focus on Zabinijad, Buchnevich can set up Kreider, Kreider can score. You focus on Buch, well, Zabinijad can pass the puck, he can score too, Kreider can shoot, he can pass just as good as most of the guys out there. So what do you do? They're a line of speed, they're a line of size, they're a line of skill. And if Vigneault is true to his word about wanting this fourth line to be a defense penalty-killing role, and you have a line of Jesper Fast, Oscar Lindbergh, and um, Michael Grabner, you're going to have a line that can, A, challenge the line in 2014, that fourth line that dragged the Rangers kicking and screaming to the Stanley Cup final, and B, along with the Nash-Stefan-Zuccarello line, can take some of the heavier, tougher assignments away and shelter these guys a little bit. And if you give those guys that line, that Zabinijad, Kreider, Buchnevich line, if you give them tough competition, I bet they would be okay. If you give them easy competition, you would hope that they would absolutely dominate. And I saw nothing last night. Again, it's, it's tough to get overly excited about a preseason game, but I saw nothing last night that didn't make me think these guys can't be successful together. 
I don't know why they have chemistry together. I don't know why they're working as well as they are, but they were working pretty well last night. Buchnevich led all players in Corsi differential last night. That's a really good sign for a guy who, before the game, kind of said, hey, don't feed me the puck as much so I can kind of settle my nerves a little bit. He looked nervous, and he was still one of the better players out there. He didn't record a point, but like I said in today's story, he is so polished away from the puck, and you're going to get that when you have players who spend two or three years in the KHL as kids learning, really seasoning down there in the second-best hockey league in the world. He was moving into space. On the Mickelrath goal, if you didn't see, he was in position to shoot wide open in the event that Mickelrath wanted to throw that away. On the Zabinijad goal, Buchnevich was the guy who was lifting the stick of the Islanders defender in the slot to make sure that the cross-ice pass got to him. These are little things that he doesn't get points for that you don't see rookies do all that often. And I'm not sure if Buchnevich is going to come out of the gate and score 40 points this year. I'm not sure if Buchnevich is going to be, you know, this superstar right away. I can almost guarantee he's not going to be. But I can tell you that already, even if he's not scoring, he is not going to be a liability on the ice. And that is absolutely something that you need to have if you're going to have a guy playing 82 games this year. So between him and Jimmy VC, I think Buchnevich set a pretty high bar. I think VC is going to be playing uh, in tomorrow's game. I don't think Buchnevich will be. So there's really a lot to like there. But between the three of them, I don't think – Zabinijad could have had a more impressive opening game. I think anybody who was kind of concerned about the Broussard trade kind of maybe feels a little bit better. And how amazing is it to have a guy on your team who's playing the off wing, who's sitting in Alexander Ovechkin's office and scoring goals on the power play. (laughs) I mean, honestly, Beth, we talked about this a little bit on Twitter. You look at it and it's just an element that the Rangers never had last year. Carpinello brought this up in his review the Rangers actually tried Dan Boyle in that spot last year because they had no right-handed shooters who could shoot the puck. And Zabinijad yeah. sat there on the power play, scored a goal, had the goalie make an amazing save, and just missed the net. We're talking about one game, the first time he's been on the ice with these guys in a competitive matchup, and he was one of the best players on the ice. So the power play looked great, and Adam Clendenning is part of that, and we're going to wait till Adam joins the show before we talk about that because – I kind of want his opinion on some of the prospects in the system and whatnot. But you guys saw the power play last night. Beth, what was what kind of stood out to you from the standpoint of watching Zabinijad? Is it possible that these guys are going to be this good? Granted, it's up against bad competition, but is it possible we're going to see an improvement on the power play because the forwards are that much better, even though we lost Yandel? I'd like to believe, I mean, it was just so strange to, and again, I I did miss part of it, but to come back and be like, okay, the power play and the kill are working. What team is this? Um, I I think I have a little bit of a sort of hangover of 2014. I almost feel better about the team sometimes when the kill is working and the power play isn't Uh, just because when it wasn't, that was, you know, it not working got us to the cup final. So that doesn't bother me as much as when the, the kill isn't working. Um, but yeah, it was, it was both, both parts of that, both, both were going. And, you know, I was just thinking about what you were saying about putting Dan Boyle in that position. Dan Boyle couldn't get back. You know, if something went wrong, that was it for Dan Boyle. He was out of the play. So the idea that we could have someone in that spot who has that shot 
and then, you know, also has the speed to get back if they need to. I mean, that's kind of what we've been waiting for. It was, it was amazing to see something that pretty get set and actually succeed. Mike, any thoughts? I don't want to be a rain cloud. Um, it's, I, I think it's really promising that we, we saw how valuable a guy with a, you know, a right-handed shot with, with the sort of skills that the Benajad has. And it's clearly something that's missing from the power play. I mean, the only other uh, forward of note on the Rangers that is right-handed, I think, is Stepan. Um, and he's never exactly been celebrated for his shot or certainly never been considered kind of a shoot-first player. I still think that, you know, even with the, you know, the power play getting two goals and, you know, all of that being very exciting, it's, it's something that I think is going to be the story of the, really the first quarter of the season, which is just how much this team will miss um, defenders who can move the puck, and especially on the power play. I wouldn't be surprised if we see the team take a look at something like, you know, a four forward uh, setup on the power play, just because there, there really isn't. Um, I think we talked about this on the last podcast at length, but you know, there's, there is concern about the ability to get the puck from the blue line to, you know, to dangerous areas, especially on the power play in the offensive zone. So um, I, to touch on the power play, I think it's also not a lot of people are talking about him because of uh, the Benajad game. But I thought Peary had a really great game and he used, you know, part of the other power play goal off of uh, the Benajad primary assist, but it's the Brandon Peary signing just kind of looks to me, it just looks better every week uh, considering what we got and what we paid for him. So um, that's another thing that kind of emerged from the, the success of the power play. Yeah, and the other thing, too, is that Peary is uh, unfortunately in a position where I think he's fighting with Buchnevich and Vesey or BC for their spot, or he's yeah. fighting for the 13th forward spot because I, I put something out on Twitter today. The names that you'd have to kick off the team to get him in, he's not going to play on the fourth line, not if Vigneault wants that defensive line that he talks about that Grabner, Lindbergh, Joris in the event that Lindbergh's not back in time, or maybe Le Perrier, but we won't talk about that right now. Um, fast line, he doesn't really fit there. So Peary played really well last night, don't get me wrong, but the reality of the situation is he's not going to beat out VC. And I can't imagine he's going to beat out Buchnevich because the Rangers aren't sending Buchnevich down because he can go to Russia. So you got yeah. two players that you have to play. You got a guy who you don't have to play. And look, there, there's not the worst thing in the world to have a 13th forward who can rotate in and out. Both Buchnevich and VC have never played an 82 game season before. All those guys hit a wall at some point. And when they do hit that wall, it kind of goes downhill from there. So to have a guy like Peary who you can kind of squeeze in there every few games for each of them, it's limited time for the other guys to sit in the press box and you're getting a fresh guy in who's actually been somewhat of a benefit. I, I was very impressed with him. I really was. But the more I watched Peary, the more I thought that it was really between him and Buchnevich for a spot on this team. And I just don't see how Buchnevich isn't going to make it. And more importantly, I think it speaks to the New York Rangers having this much talent on their forward corps that this is even a conversation. Last year, Peary probably would have been one of the Rangers' best forwards, as sad as it is yeah. to say. 
And this year, he's a guy who probably can't even make the starting lineup. And I think that's an impressive thing. Um, Adam's going to call in in a minute. He just let me know. Uh, kind of on that topic, you oh, speak of the devil. Here is Adam Herman himself right now. Adam, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, I'm doing all right. How about you guys? We are uh, we're doing great. So funny enough, we were just about to get to Clem Denning. Uh, I, I think he was the guy in terms of where people's expectations were for a player coming into the game to where they ended. The, the, obviously, some people think that Clendenning is the new Yandel. Some people are making jokes that Clendenning is the new Leech. We don't joke about things like that on this show. Um, oh, he, he was, I would say, unbelievably impressive. He had two assists. He was easily one of the biggest catalysts on the power play. He was the guy who made the cross-ice pass to the Vinajad. He's a guy who, believe it or not, outplayed both Dylan McElrath and Brady Shea last night. He might have been the Rangers' best defenseman. In fact, I'm going to say he was the Rangers' best defenseman. Um, Adam, were you expecting this from him? He's kind of a guy people thought was going to be depth in Hartford, but watching last night, and again, it's one preseason game, I could see him fighting for a spot on this team, especially because... A, he brings a skill set that the Rangers don't have in terms of offensive ability, and B, he's a right-handed shot. Yeah, well, uh, I was actually at the game, and um, you know, for anyone who's ever watched a hockey game on TV and then watched a game in person, there are pros and cons to each in terms of what you're seeing. You know, at the game, obviously, you're not getting the benefit of replay. Um, you know, depending on where the puck is on the ice, you know, it might be hard to see some things. But where, from what I was where I was sitting, and that was center ice way up, 225 section, you can kind of see plays develop. You can see where wingers, you know, are kind of making their roots. You can see how defensemen are playing into that. And what was obvious from condemning from where I was sitting was just that he reads the play very well, breaking out of his own zone. You know, he keeps his head on a swivel. He's not rushing into giving up the puck um, in the offensive zone. He's not afraid to, you know, make a bit more dangerous passes, but ones that obviously, if they're completed, have more upside. Um, and I think we saw one of those on the power on Zibanejad's power play goal. Um, I mean, look again, and you know, we know very well that one regular season game means not much for a single player. So one preseason game, you know, against a lot of rookies against a lot of minor league, minor leaguers, guys on tryouts, you know, you got to take everything with a grain of salt, but absolutely, you know, I thought he was the best defenseman last night. Um, obviously, you know, the test is now going to be, how is he going to look, um, you know, against legitimate NHL players? Because, uh, and I tweeted this last night again, you know, Brian Gibbons and Jake, Jason Megna looked absolutely dominant against the Devils in the first preseason game last year, you know, and it's just because they're very good AHL players, but they can't really make that jump. Um, Clendenning is 23 years old, so he's not quite just an AHL retreat yet. Um, there's certainly upside there. He's played in the NHL and had some success. And like you said, uh, he brings something to the defense that there isn't much of, and that's just kind of a you know guy who's calm with the puck on his stick and can you know make plays from the back end. Um, so sure, of course he has a chance to make this team, and um, I think it's a mistake to assume he's going to quarterback the power play, but. You know, can he add some of that skill set to the to the team? Uh, absolutely, I think so. I think he's in the in the race for sure. Beth, before I I know you have thoughts on Clem Denning, and I, I will give you the, the floor <laughs> to to share them. Uh, I'm wrong. Vucinevich will be playing tomorrow, as people are letting me know in the chat. So it seems like he's on the line. 
uh, I think they were saying with Gerby and uh, Peary. So we'll get another good look at Buchnevich. Um, Beth, your Clendenning thoughts. I know they, uh, they're pretty expansive. I'm just going to throw this out there and wonder if, you know, we spent the whole summer going, what the hell are they doing about the defense? How are they fixing the defense? Why is nothing happening on defense? Um, do we have to give them credit for making something happen that maybe we didn't think through all the way or see what they saw? I know it's too early to say that, um, but maybe this seems like a more strategic move than we gave it credit for at the time in terms of what they need on the blue line. Well, he was absolutely a signing that went under the radar. I, th- I think when the Rangers first signed him, I, I confused him with Luke Glendening, um on Detroit. And then I, I kind of forgot about him. And last night I was just running through the roster and we were talking about it right before the show started. He had some monster years in the AHL. I mean, for Rockford, he had 59 points in 74 games. That, that's only two years ago. He's 23 years old, like Adam said. And part of the reason why you haven't seen him all that often is because in Chicago and Pittsburgh, there was a lot of talent in front of him. And in Vancouver and Edmonton, he was playing on Vancouver and Edmonton. And they're just not good talent yeah. evaluation teams. Absolutely. So I'm – like Adam said, I'm not sure Clendenning's going to come in and tear the world apart. I mean, there's a reason why this guy was available so cheap for the New York Rangers. But these are also the guys who every now and again, you sign a guy like this who turns into something, and this is sort of how they make a name for themselves. They get that second chance that they wouldn't have had before. I, I think part of the cautionary tale when it comes to Brady Shea, and especially, look, let's call a spade a spade, he was probably the worst defenseman last night. And that is not something you want to see out of a guy that a is going to be playing top four minutes. You'd think for the defense and B the team's bright shining beacon of hope on a position that (laughs) has just been an absolute tire fire the past couple of years. Now, as much as you need to temper expectations of guys who dominated last night, you also have to temper your hatred for a guy who had a really bad game last night. Maybe it's his first game back. He wasn't feeling good. You know, you don't know. Guys have bad games all the time. Adam was talking about how Menga was a dominant player last year. You know, Rafael Diaz had two goals in one of his preseason games against the Devils, too. And he played, I think, two NHL games. So when you really sit down and look at Brady Shea, I think you can say, okay, him and Girardi were not a good pairing last night. He had his struggles and whatever, and you hope he bounces back. But Nickelrath wasn't all that great either. He had a terrible first period, kind of bounced back, scored a goal. He was, you know, so-so. Clendenning outplayed everyone. And if you're on the coaching staff and you're really talking about the seven defensemen you're going to bring around, it's between Holden, Shea, Nickelrath, and at this point, Clendenning for those last two spots, that sixth and seventh position. And again, tempering expectations, Clendenning showed me no reason why he can't be one of those guys especially because at this point, I, look, anyone who expects Shea to become McDonough this year is out of their minds. Anybody who expects Shea to even come close to Yandel's offense this year is even crazier than the people who are out of their minds. It's just not going to happen. And I've talked about this a lot. The biggest loser of the Yandel trade is Shea because when the Rangers let Yandel go, 
they talked about Shea as a replacement, and I, I don't think they meant it as an offensive replacement. There's actually no way they could have meant it as an offensive replacement, but that's what people think in their heads. That's not what it's going to be. This is going to be a learning year for Shea. This is going to be a tough year for Shea, and I, I hope he comes through the other side as good as he was in the playoffs, but that's a small sample size, and quite frankly, the bar wasn't very high. At that point, the entire team was imploding like a dying star. Any type of positivity was going to be something that we were going to look at and clap our hands at. And that's what Shea was. So I really hope he bounces back. But I could see Clendenning forcing himself into this type of a, a battle now at this point. And look, McElrath is against it. He really is. Vigneault's already made comments about how he's got to be smarter with the puck. Yeah, that was not a great showing from him either. But I, I just think there's a lot going on here behind the scenes that we're going to see a little bit more of. And if Clendenning keeps playing like that, he's going to make those decisions tougher. Um, Adam is our residential prospect expert. If for those of you who don't know, he does the top 30 every single year. Go back and read that. I think I linked it in the most recent story. Uh, Adam, in terms of the prospects, Kovacs and Stromwald last night were uh, probably the, the guys that we know aren't going to make the team, but might be the future in a couple of years. What did you think of some of the prospects mm-hmm. playing last night? Did anyone stand out to you outside of Skafsky, who definitely is back from whatever happened last sure. year? Sure, yeah. I mean, we'll talk about him in a bit, but in regards to Kovacs and Stromal, I mean, these are two guys who I think are going to be your first-line wingers in Hartford this upcoming season um, in their first AHL season. I don't, I don't think there's much doubt about that. Um, what I saw from them last night were I saw two young, you know, two young kids who um, were playing their first NHL game on North American or ice with a new team, you know. There were some mistakes made, understandable, but there were also you know, some individual efforts that, you know, it was pretty, pretty clear the, uh, the potential was there. Um, I remember Stromwall, you know, he threw a pretty big hit in center ice, which is, you know, he's a bit undersized, you know, Swede don't, Swede don't exactly have the reputation for, you know, the grid aspect of hockey. So um, I, I thought, I thought, you know, they were in, they didn't earn their way into the NHL by any means immediately with that game. But I thought, you know, given the circumstances, they did what they needed to do, which, is, which was just kind of, you know, get their feet wet. Um, you know, aside from them, I thought Hervik, who, you know, kind of was condemning in that kind of outside looking in, but, you know, if they can force away, you know, I thought Hervik had a solid game, nothing special, but, you know, solid game showed that maybe he can be in the fourth line center mix. Um and, you know, and then, and then there's, there's Mackenzie Sapsky, who, I mean, I don't need to say much. I think everyone who's watching saw that he was, you know, with all due respect to Helberg, who was fine, but Sapsky really, you know, kind of stole the show. I counted um, what, what Steve Alcott would classify as five or four high-scoring, uh, high-scoring shots that Sapsky saved. Um, there could have easily been two or three goals on the passes across the slot. Um, and, and look, I mean, people are down on Skafsky because he had a terrible year last year, but, you know, he knows it. He's not, uh, he's not having any delusions about it. And, um, you know, he kind of just played on – I think he played too early last year on, his, uh, on what was a hip that was still recovering. But, you know, he spent a lot of time this offseason um, getting his strength back. And, you know, in his, based on his movement in the crease last night, you know, he, uh, the movement's back, and it looks like he had his confidence back as well. So, you know, obviously, you know, it's going to be something bad happened. If, if he's getting NHL time this year, that means something, you know, didn't go right with uh, Lundqvist and Ranta one way or the other. But, you know, I think I, I, I didn't lose faith in him, but clearly at least to 
you know, the mainstream general population of fans, you know, he should be back in the discussion for, um, you know, future, future Rangers goaltender. Well, let's be honest about something else, too. The expansion draft is going to take away uh, – you can only protect one goaltender. So there is a very good chance that Ranta is, is – well, he's going to be the one who's left unprotected. Whether or not he's taken is a completely different story, but there is a chance that the Rangers are going to be looking for a backup goaltender next year. And if Skapsky can kind of play himself into that role, I, I think that's going to be both a benefit to the Rangers, obviously a benefit to himself, but it really speaks volumes about – this coaching staff that this was a position internally in the system that was absolutely devoid of any type of talent. And it's now one of the team's bigger strengths, especially as Skatsky comes along. Halverson obviously didn't have the best year last year and didn't get off to the best start in uh, mm-hmm. Traverse city, but Cheskarin is dominating in the KHL. And it's just a very exciting time for goaltenders for the New York Rangers. Um, it's funny that you bring up Rivik because he was one of the guys in my story that, I put in terms of stock going down and it has absolutely nothing to do with the game that he played yesterday or what he's doing. He just reminds me a lot of Ryan Bork in that he's a guy who can absolutely be an NHL player. I think he can be a bottom six, probably more of a fourth line NHL player. And the only way he's going to get that role on Broadway is if like Adam said, he's the guy who's replacing drawers on the fourth line in the event that he's injured until Lindbergh gets back. I just don't see him fighting beyond anybody else. There's already so much talent that needs to get sent down over the course of this preseason that he's going to be able to get in and really make a difference. And he's a guy who's put in his time. He played some games in the NHL last year. He's definitely a serviceable player. It's just unfortunate. But again, it it kind of speaks to where the Rangers are right now in terms of forwards and where they were last year. He's a guy who probably should have made the team last year, if you're considering the fact that Glass played as much as he did. And, you know, the Daniel Paye experiment and all those horrible memories that we're going to try to forget. But (laughs) it really is kind of sad to see. And we've definitely talked about it before, but I think it speaks to the Rangers' forward strength right now, that even though they don't have the best farm system in the world, they're a very young team. Stepan is the elder statesman of the group at 26 years old. There's something to be said for that. So just like Ryan Bork, I feel very bad for him, but I just don't see a spot for him on Broadway. Um, I think it's, I think it's unfortunate, but at this point it is what it is. I mean, we can't even find a spot for Brandon Peary. And he's a guy who at this point I think is probably earning a role on this team somewhere. There's just no way you're going to kick out Buchnevich or Vici to, to kind of fit him in. Um, we've talked a little bit about some of the other, we're going to see Grop uh, tomorrow for the first time, a couple of other prospects. Adam, is there anyone we should keep our eyes on? Is there anybody that we should be aware of? Anybody who you think is going to impress us? Yeah. Um, I think the guy to watch, I mean, obviously all eyes are going to be on Jimmy Vesey, you know, obviously just in terms of, you know, the hype, but also, you know, obviously he's pretty close to a lock to being on the team. So for those reasons, you know, New shiny toy. He's the you know one that everyone's focusing on. But um, I think the guy to watch for real tomorrow is Ryan Graves, defenseman, because um, he he made the he he closed the gap on Brady Shea, and I don't mean that to uh, discount what Shea did last year. I mean that as a comp, pure compliment to Ryan Graves because I genuinely thought, and you know I've been a fan from him ever since seeing him his post draft year 2013, um, but. I really thought last year was kind of 
going to be a pure transition year for him. Maybe spend some time in the ECHL, um, you know, at best, you know, be solid bottom pairing defenseman. But he became Hartford, one of Hartford's, you know, top players. Went to the All-Star game, AHL All-Star game. Um, and, and he just gets every offseason, he just he gets so much better when I, when I see him the next year. Um, last year, he stayed around in preseason a lot longer than anyone expected. And, um, you know, again, like, we're t- we, it's kind of this paradox with the Rangers where, like, on one hand, you think that the def- defense is locked in just because they've got so many veterans on contracts, and, you know, and such, and, you know, no one's going anywhere. But at the same time, they obviously, you know, need to make some changes. They need someone to push everyone else. And, you know, I don't think the Rangers are, are uh, counting on him too, but I don't think they were counting on Anthony Duclair to do it uh, in 2014, and he did it. So, you know, if he makes – he, I, I think he's a guy who can make – who could at least make it – um, a reluctant cut this year. So I, I would watch him tomorrow. I think there's a few guys who are going to be in that reluctant cut category. I, I, look, I, I we talked about it before a little bit, and I'm going to rewind just a touch in terms of Kovacs and Stromwall, but I didn't really notice them. I noticed Stromwall a little bit in the first period because it took a bad penalty, but between the two of them, I didn't notice them at all yesterday. I think like Adam said, that's probably a good thing just because they're getting used to North American ice and, I thought Stromwall would be a little bit more acclimated to things because he did play some time in the WHL before he went over across the seas. But I kind of felt that Stromwall was going to be one of the last cuts in terms of the guys that we knew weren't going to make the team, but we're going to kind of push forward a little bit. And Graves is an interesting thing too, because with the, the Jacob Trauba stuff, I, I was kind of running through my head some trade options that the Rangers have. And I was looking over Adam's notes and Ryan Gropp and Ryan Graves are two of the Rangers' top prospects right now. And, again, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Buchnevich and Shea and all these other guys have graduated. But, um, you know, it says a lot about where Ryan Graves has come from basically a fourth-round pick to, to where he is right now. Uh, kind of I, I do want to transition a bit into the future, talk a little bit about what I think the Rangers are dealing with in terms of their forwards. But, I just want to see if there's any final thoughts from you, Beth, about what you saw this weekend and what you're expecting tomorrow. Um, no, I mean, I think you guys, I think you guys covered most of it. Go Mike, ahead. is there anything you want to throw in? You haven't, you haven't spoke very long. I think well, it's, it's a really encouraging thing to know that there's guys like Clem uh, Denning and Graves that we can look at. Um, not only for the question of, you know, are they on the roster on, you know, on opening night, but all these concerns we've had about, you know, the defense over the season, it's, it's important to remember that, you know, not every, it's very rare for players to actually play 82 games in a season. And, you know, when you start thinking of nightmare scenarios for the Rangers, one of the ones that's on the top of my list, at least, is an injury to Ryan McDonough and what that would do to his team. And so it's it's a little comforting to know that there are, you know, there's guys who might be, you know, seven or eight on the death chart right now that could easily be, you know, on the bottom pairing um, and arguably on, you know, teams of lesser, lesser quality, a little higher than that um, on other teams. So I think it's, it's really good and encouraging to see guys like, you know, Clint Denning have the sort of game he has and, you know, you look at what he did in the NHL and, you know, you get encouraged. And like Adam was saying, the 
Graves is, you know, a physical specimen is crazy. I think he's 6'5 or something. You know, there's there's a lot about Graves where he's flown under the radar for a lot of people, but you know, he's a guy that's a pretty interesting prospect at this point, especially considering, you know, the fact that the Rangers stable is kind of empty. So uh, I think it's it's a good thing that we're able to talk about these defensive prospects with, with hope instead of, you know, just kind of grinding our teeth and hoping that, you know, someone else comes along that's more promising. Uh, look, like we've said, there's really – it's hard to be too up or too down off one preseason game, but so many good things happened yesterday that it's worthwhile to be excited. We haven't had a ton of things to be excited about, so uh, this is definitely it, – it's a good time right now. Now, one of the things that I want to trans – kind of move us into is the Tanner Glass and obviously Maxim LaPerriere were two of the more used players last night. Glass had the A that definitely threw a few people for a loop. Uh, but the amount of talent that these guys would have to jump over to actually make this lineup would be ridiculous. Where No one's mentioned uh, Gerby's name as a guy who has a legitimate shot to make the team right now. Adam, before you jumped on, we kind of talked about how Peary was not going to be anything more than a 13th forward. Uh, do we think this speaks more to maybe the future of the New York Rangers, that the, this is kind of the forward group and they're really committed to youth, or do we think this is sort of a fluke? And uh, look, we, I think Gordon is going to have a little bit of a black mark on his name be, because of the Girardi and Stahl stuff this year, and you know we're not going to really get into it, but I will say Stahl was relatively solid last night. He really was. It wasn't the, the worst game we've seen from him. Girardi, obviously, he was Girardi, so whatever, but uh, I think that Part of what we've seen from Jeff Gordon was a, a really good trade for Zabinijad, a really savvy group of signings in Grabner and Peary and Gerby. And uh, Adam, we'll start with you. Is this kind of a sign of what we're expecting to see from Jeff Gordon? Uh, I mean, I sure hope so. Um, you know, I mean, like <laughs> the problem is, the problem is we can look back to 2014 where, you know, the Rangers used. Pouliot, Zuccarello, Broussard on the third line, you know, and that was after signing Pouliot and making the move for Broussard the previous spring. Um, and then there was Strawman, and, you know, they used, the, uh, you know, a very um, puck, good puck possession fourth line, and, it, you know, kind of looked like, wow, like the Rangers are really embracing, you know, this new modern hockey, you know, where you're not grinding out wins, you're, you're moving the puck, you're skating, you're, you know, everything is quick and, you know, very analytical. And, and and suddenly 2015 comes around and, you know, it's pretty obvious that that just kind of was a fluke that, you know, that wasn't an intention. It was just kind of, um, it just kind of, you know, the dominoes fell that way. So, you know, now we look at here and there are a lot of signs that, yeah, they're, they're embracing this, you know, the youth instead of the usual veteran retreats for, um, you know, kind of young, young skilled guys. And yeah, but I have to wonder, you know, it's just kind of just how, the, the you know the cards fell, you know for Jeff Gordon and management this summer, or was that you know the distinct plan um, that they were going to change the makeup of the team in in terms of uh, of a youth movement? Um, and you know when we talk about we talk about Brandon Peary, um, I mean I mean look like reality is that like Michael Grabner, Nathan Gerby, you know as much as they're solid players, and I have no problem with them. Uh, on the roster in in itself, but those are probably not guys who are winning Stanley Cups with the Rangers. If we assume that the Rangers are not winning a Stanley Cup this year, 
You know, it's a, it, these are these are not guys who are going to move the needle in a meaningful way um, long term. But you look at an Adam Clendenin, who's 23. You look at Brandon Peary, who's 25, and um, both guys are restricted free agents at the end of the year. Actually, I believe Clendenin might have another year. I'm not sure, but either way, you know, these are guys who can be under team control for theoretically 10 more years if they want to, and could still be um, competent players. So. Uh, I would hope so. Um, I would hope that, you know, this is the change. It's a change for the better. I would hope that, you know, with Chris Jury in the fold as assistant GM, um, a few scouting changes, I would, I, and, um, you know, a few coaching changes, I would hope, you know, that they're kind of starting to realize, you know, all right, uh, can't cling to the past anymore. And we can't wish our way back to the Stanley Cup finals with memories and nostalgia. So, you know, let's, let's really hope that, you know, it's a, it's a change for, for the better. Beth, thoughts on this being the future? Um, I think we have a lot of really great pieces. I'll go back to the thing I feel like I always end up saying, which is it depends on how AV deploys them over the course of the season mm-hmm. um, and whether what we think is great has any relationship to what he ends up doing. Um, Clendenning made me feel like maybe they – we're on top of things that we had accused them of not being on top of um, or had accused them of ignoring mainly, you know, big holes on defense. So I am again going to be, I feel like I always regret this. I almost don't want to say it out loud, but I am going to be again, optimistic about the direction we're going in. Um, But that does, I think, you know, go along with what Adam said, that it's an optimism that really doesn't involve a cup that much right now. It's just about the organization and the director direction it's moving in. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. I'm kind of, to be honest, um, I've kind of been the the gloomy Gus here tonight. Um, (laughs) Like I, I look at, you know, the roster right now, you know, I have the general manager of the Rangers page in front of me and I'll start, you know, wearing a smile about the team believing in, uh, you know, the front office understanding that, you know, there's a certain way to win hockey games and it doesn't involve body checks and, you know, grit and character and things like that. Those things are nice and obviously you should have players of character, but, I'll feel a little bit better when we see Lapierre get cut and when we see Glass get demoted. Um, and I only say that because, you know, last last season, both out of camp and several times throughout the season, we we felt like all the cards are on the table. Anyone can see Tanner Glass hurts this team. It's obvious. And he hung around and he hung around and he hung around and – it was one of those things where, you know, obviously he doesn't doesn't hurt the team to the, you know, the effect that some other players do, considering he's in a fourth line role. But he was kind of this this relic from, you know, this this way of thinking that just doesn't go away. And you know, you'd think about the team doing things like oh Stahlberg and wasn't that nice when it lasted, and and you see that you know Glass is here and that Lapierre gets a PTO and. You know, I think those things are alarming. Like, I, I it's a little thing because, you know, it's just a PTO, but uh, I don't know what to say about, you know, Lafayette having 19 minutes of ice. Now, obviously, you know, a lot of you know, short, short-handed ice last night, but 
I think that's something that we need to keep in mind that, yeah, I want, I want to believe that it's going to be the youth <laughs> movement and we're going to start forward thinking here, but I'm not holding my breath. Uh, for those of you who are about to lose you, uh, thank you guys for listening. We're obviously going to dig deep into the uh, the Tony area of the podcast, the forced padding episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. We really appreciate it. We will see you on the other end of this uh, 845 break and keep downloading us, and we appreciate everything. You guys are going to miss my great take on video that I'm about to give, but you'll have to uh, you'll have to download it on the back end. Here, here's my thought on this, and um, I have no way to prove this. I have no way to prove this. I have no way to prove this. Um, this is just something I think. <laughs> Beth, Can't do I have any way to prove yeah. this? Do I have any way to prove this? I don't. Um, I think that this year really is going to be the year that Jeff Gordon starts to make some really big changes to the lineup. And I think that this is where he really takes control of this team. And there were a lot of things that he had to deal with last year that, you know, he wasn't really his fault, and he was cleaning up someone else's mess and whatever. I think that the seat under Vigneault is warm. I'm not saying it's hot. I'm not saying that he's going to get fired anytime soon. I'm just saying there's a seat under him, and I think it's warm. Whether you want to admit it or not, the New York Rangers have regressed every single year under Vigneault. They went from a Stanley Cup final to an Eastern Conference final to getting blown out and embarrassed in the first round of the playoffs last year. It is not really ironic, but telling that the Rangers have gone from a team that really subscribed to that top-down, we need every single player to be capable of playing hockey. We need a fourth line that can be defensive. We need to rely on our defensemen to be defensemen. And they've sort of transitioned into what they have right now. I think that for all the success that Vigneault has had, and a Stanley Cup final, President's Trophies, all these things that he had in Vancouver too when he got kicked out the door, I think Gordon is giving Vigneault an opportunity to do things his way, or at the very least to show whether or not he's evolved. I've said it from the beginning of this summer. If the Rangers are going to move forward, they need to do it with Vigneault. Vigneault needs to evolve from this guy who trusts his defense, even if they're not working, who trusts his veterans, who doesn't want to play the kids, who trusts his guys. He needs to move away from that guy and be a guy that actually implements the best players for his system. And that's not something he's been in his coaching career. When given the opportunity, he makes the wrong choices. But with the success he's had, it's difficult to walk in and say, you don't deserve another shot. So I think Gordon is giving him his toys. And I think Gordon is giving him his pick. And it would not, I really think Tanner Glass is dead. I think Maximo Perrier might make the team in terms of replacing drawers and the fact that he's injured. Outside of that, I think he's dead because there's just too much talent in front of him. But if the Rangers jump out to a slow start or things don't go the right way or we're in the middle of November and the Rangers are way out of the playoffs and things just aren't working, I don't think Vigneault is going to be here. And I think Gordon is giving him the rope to either hang himself or the rope to climb out of what he turned last year into. Because it's very difficult for Jeff Gordon to come in and clean house based off of the fact that Vigneault has had success with this team. But it's also very difficult to think that Gordon looks at that. Look, the Rangers don't consider themselves Stanley Cup contenders. Gordon talked to the press about playing really well, first goal is to make the playoffs, and then we need to get hot at the right time. Stanley Cup contending teams don't say stuff like that ever. Never. The Rangers, Rangers never talk like that. The Rangers, 
Rangers didn't talk like that last year, you know? No, so, they didn't talk like that in 2015. Right, they didn't talk like that last year. The New York Rangers thought they were going to be a team after they came. Now, the Stanley Cup final run was great, but it was sort of a surprise. The year after, the Rangers expected to be Stanley Cup champions. They wanted to change the ending. That was the team motto. They never talked like that. So to hear him talk about that right now is a little jarring, but it's also, it kind of should make you feel pretty good because that tells me the Rangers are not going to make that Eric Stahl trade next year or this year at the trade deadline. That tells me the Rangers yeah. aren't going to mortgage the future for a fourth year if we're pushing all of our chips into the middle of the table. There's only so many years that you can do that before it comes back to bite you. And I think the fact that the Rangers have landed guys like Hayes, landed guys like VC, landed guys like Buchnevich and Duclair in deeper rounds of the draft has helped mitigate those damages. But these past four years could have thrown the Rangers into a darkness that we might not even be able to fathom. They've gotten lucky with some of the players that they've gotten. They've been smart in terms of the players that they're evaluating and some of the prospects that they're going after. Give Gordy Clark a ton of credit for the work that he's done without first-round draft picks the past four years. But this is a really critical time for the Rangers in terms of how they move forward. I'm fine with the Rangers treating this as a half-rebuild, half-get-these-guys experience, half-next-year, we expect to be much better here. Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl are not going to be on this team next year. It's impossible. There's no way the Rangers are going to let guys like McElrath float around in the expansion draft because they have to auto-protect Girardi and Stahl. In the event that the Rangers do get Jacob Trauba, there's no way that they're going to let them hang around where he's going to be angled for the rest of the league in the expansion draft. It's just not going to happen. So we are going to see some changes. But I really do think that this is Vigneault's show, and he's going to be able to do what he wants, and Gordon's going to take a back seat. And Gordon's going to let things play out the way they're going to play out, and if they don't work Vigneault's way, they don't work his way, and that's going to be the end of it. Again, I have no way to prove this, but I really don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. I think that's where we are right now. Yeah. Adam, am I mm-hmm. crazy? No, you're not. And, look, I can tell you, you know, again, like you, I don't know. I don't know. But, you know, I've, you know, you hear things, you hear whispers, you hear, you know, sentiments from people. Um, and, look, I can tell you that even when, you know, everything was super rosy with the Rangers, that, you know, people have this, you know, idea for whatever reason that, you know, GMs, you know, bring in, bring in, decide what players are, on, are uh, you know, in the organization. They sign and trade players and, you know, it, it's the coach that decides the roster and decides the lines and, I mean, it's just, it's not true. It's absolutely not true. Um, I can tell you that there, I won't name them, but there are a couple of one (laughs) or two players who in uh, the last few years that Elaine Vigneault did not want on their roster, but um, it was kind of forced upon him for for at least a little bit. Um, So, so look, you know, Elaine Vigneault, he could be married to Tanner Glass. You know, I don't mean that literally. He could be married to the idea of having Tanner Glass on the team as much as he wants it. At the end of the day, Jeff Gordon's the one who has the power to decide is he on the team or not, um, you know. And he could say, you know, I have no spot for, for you know, Brandon Peary on my, on my roster. But if Jeff Gordon says, you know, tough luck, you know, put him in bottom six minutes for 20 games to see what happens, then, like, that's what's going to happen. And Vigneault's other choice is to quit. So, you know, so ultimately, look, um, you know, Clearly, even you like you said, I think his seat's a bit warm. I think everybody, whether it's not just the Rangers, 
you know, brass, but the media and I think the fans kind of realized, like, look, he's not perfect, you know. We can't We can no longer just say, you know, trust, blindly trust him just because of past success, you know. Clearly, it didn't work last year. Um, so, so look, uh, he, he's got to change. I think he knows he needs to show the Rangers that he's changing um, because the other aspect of this is that, you know, the, the first, you know, obviously the first aspect of this is that if the Rangers aren't winning games and they look terrible, then obviously his job's going to be, you know, questioned. But also, you know, if the Rangers are in this kind of half-rebuild state where, you know, they're not trying to win this year, you know, they have to decide is is Elaine Vigneault the coach that they want, you know, to to be to be you know kind of in charge while this transition's happening because you know they brought him in to the job to replace Tortorella as you know kind of that you know one one big move to you know bring them from hovering around conference finals to winning the cup. He was brought in to win immediately, but is he the guy they want to be you know running this uh, kind of transition where? That's not the goal. Obviously, it's the goal, but that's not the primary focus, and that's not the main objective. So I think he has to show he's changing. I think he has to show he's willing to make those adjustments because um, otherwise, look, he no longer is the golden child. He's no longer flawless. So, so yeah, I think I'm not going to say he will be fired, but I don't think it's any more uh, a lock that he will end the year with this team. Beth, your thoughts? Um, ask Mike what he's thinking, because I have a thought, but it's a different thought, so I'm going to save it. Mike, your Maybe thoughts? Maybe forever. It would be interesting that's if that's actually, thinking. you know, if she, she came down with a hard opinion on these controversial questions, because <laughs> thus far she has totally backed out of every single one of them, uh, but we're going to hope that that's not the case right now. Michael, you can either save her or destroy her. It's your choice. I'm still... Honestly, thinking about how in the opening of the show you said it runs the gambit instead of runs the gamut, but I don't even remember uh, saying that. That's how, I don't even I don't even remember bringing that heart. up. <laughs> so I guess that's my comment. Also, I suppose I'll say uh, I would like to think that the team, you know, would look in a different direction if if the Rangers kind of have a bad, you know, first third of the year. Um, and I, I'd much rather see them shake things up behind the bench than, than you know, mortgage more of the future away. And, you know, I don't like, – like you said earlier, Joe, I, I don't think we're going to see another Eric Stahl trade. Um, one, because I, 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 I get the feeling that the team doesn't feel like they're, they're real cup contenders and also because there's not that much left in the cupboard uh, to – to kind of trade away picks and, you know, prospects that have other teams salivating. So to bring back our favorite word. Um, yeah. I, I'd like to, I'd like to think that's the case. I, I don't know how, how I feel personally about Vino anymore. Um, I was honestly just so relieved to have a different perspective than Tortorella um, that I gave him personally a lot of leash and, team, you know, won plenty of games under Elaine Vigneault, but I'm not sure how much of that was, you know, you, you ask yourself how many more games would, you know, arguably a more capable coach have won and, you know, what kind of influences Vigneault had on this team. And, you know, you look to guys like 
not to keep bringing up their names, but guys like Glass and uh, Maxim Lapierre and what they're doing here. And it's, you know, it's no secret that they have, you know, connections to Vigneault and, you know, they're kind of, you know, maybe coaches fix uh, as it were. But uh, I, I believe he's probably on a hot seat. And the reason I say that is really because it's New York and Henrik Lundqvist isn't getting any younger. And there it is. You have to, you have to start. You can't keep going backwards or stalling. You know, you have to make step a step forward at some point. So I think I would be pretty content if, you know, the Rangers got to the first round of the playoffs and got knocked out. But we saw a lot of these young kids kind of, you know, step into their own. We saw Kreider finally get a little more comfortable with, with whatever the hell he turns out to be, I still don't know. Um, I do know that him going to the net more is bad news for everyone. But uh, I, I don't know. I'm rambling here. I'd like to think <laughs> that we should be optimistic, but I'm with a gloomy gust mm. tonight, so I don't know. I think it's interesting think that ready. Mike is the first one to bring up. That's the first time we've said Henrik's name tonight. And it makes me it's wonder handsome. if we're strategically – is he? You know, um, we can't. You know, just like you can't joke about Brian Leach, you can't joke about Hank not being handsome on this podcast. It's just one of the rules. <laughs> I mean, he has an asymmetrical uh, hairline. No one talks about that. But... Got very quiet. Yeah, it's stuck everything. Um, all right, so two things. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I said this in the, the thing I wrote about the optics of Lundqvist last year is accepting that this team needed a rebuild was wonderful, but you had to acknowledge that that might mean no cup for Lundqvist. Um, and, you know, what do you do with that? How do you how do you sit with that? How do you say, Hank, you know, um, you're committed to us and we're committed to you, but you know, there's other stuff going on, which there has to be, of course, that's just a fact of life or a fact Mm -hmm. of sports anyway. Um, But you know, there's been so every single thing that's published about Hank right now coming out of last year, um, coming out of the world cup, it's always all or nothing. You know, there's, there's never anything in between. Lundquist is done. Lundquist is great. Lundquist is done. Lundquist is great. And um, I really wonder what sort of narrative about Hank is going to go along with whatever narrative of this rebuild turns out to be. Um, And I also wonder what the warmth of AV's seat has to do um, with, let's call it the emerging humanity of Henrik Lundqvist in, again, realizing that he's a fantastic, amazing, elite, top goalie, but we can't ride him to a cup. We can't do it. We've shown that. We know that now. The sick part about this conversation is the Rangers are one or two moves away from being cup contenders again. And Mm -hmm. those one or two moves are enormously difficult moves. It's like saying – uh, we could totally break into this bank if only that enormous metal vault wasn't there. But <laughs> there well, is a scenario yeah. where if maybe a Benning or a Shirelli or someone looks or maybe, God willing, the Jets are like, oh, we're kind of into Mark Stahl. 
where you can kind <laughs> oh, of change God, the trajectory of this franchise. You get a guy like Trauba, you really do reset the defense for the next for the foreseeable future. And one of those moves may be lurking out there. I don't know. There's still rumors that the Rangers are talking to Anaheim about a move. The Rangers have a ton of forwards they need to get rid of. Eventually, you'd think it's a position of strength. Rick Nash might not be around next year. There's just a lot of things that go into what the Rangers are right now. And where I was going to bring up Lundqvist, Beth, you took it in a different direction. Where I was going to bring him up was to say, if the Rangers elect truly that this year is not a year that they contend, next year will have to be a year that they contend. Because yeah. uh, I, I think the thought of Lundqvist not winning a cup in New York is unfathomable for a lot of different reasons. But it's, oh, the, same, it's the same way oh, probably Capitals fans feel about Ovechkin not winning a cup in Washington. You have a generational player. Henrik Lundqvist is quite literally the beacon of what you want out of a goaltender. He is an elite, mm-hmm. consistent goaltender on a level that you will never see on Broadway ever again. I am very confident to say you will never see a better, more consistent goaltender than Henrik Lundqvist ever again. Because Henrik Lundqvist has two things that you need to have to be on that level. You need to be an elite talent, and you need to be healthy. And some of that is luck. But you don't see it. Mike Richter was an unbelievable goaltender. He won a Stanley Cup. He couldn't stay healthy. He retired. He was on some terrible teams, too. But I look at Hank, and I think the same thing. Henrik Lundqvist is, and this is where I go crazy with the crab people. Uh, <laughs> oh, that I totally forgot. We're, we're making shirts for crab. Whatever. It's, for it's crab. Oh, damn it, Joe. That's the worst. So much on this, on shirts this for crab. That, um, but there is going to be a time when the lights go out on Henrik Lundqvist's career in New York, and there is no, there is no next. It's kind of like the afterlife. Like you think that the atheists or anyone who believes that there is no heaven or there's no afterlife when you die, you die. Like that's what it feels like it's going to be, because whoever comes in to replace Henrik Lundqvist is not going to be Henrik Lundqvist. And there is mm-hmm. a very good yep. chance that whoever comes in and replaces Henrik Lundqvist is not even half the goalie that Henrik Lundqvist is. And then what happens? So it's not even from the standpoint of, oh, we need to win a cup because Hank needs to win a cup. I'm going to be completely honest with you. If the New York Rangers win a cup in two years and Lundqvist isn't doing anything on the team and he's not on the team and doesn't get his name on the cup, that's going to be like an afterthought for me. I'm going to feel bad about it, but the Rangers <laughs> still won the Stanley Cup. And I about Dan with every well, I think it would be worth it if they won the cup without Dan Girardi, according to a former beat reporter. In that case, um, you return it. But. Yeah, in that case, you you don't. When Bettman brings the cup out, you you hand the return slip and you, you give it to the other team. Um, you know, for Lundqvist, I think it would be emotionally devastating to leave his career yeah. for as competitive as he is to not win a Stanley Cup. And I'm not comfortable with being responsible for that. And I feel responsible as a fan, mm. even though I have nothing to do with this. That's an uncomfortable conversation to have. But if that happens, the Rangers still want a Stanley Cup. You know what I mean? Like, we don't have to answer those questions. You don't need to be held to that standard as a fan. So I do think that part of the reason why this is so uncomfortable or so scary is because you don't know what's going to happen when he shuts the door on his career. And by all indications from the World Cup, we're going to get another year of elite Henrik Lundqvist. 
I see no reason why he can't be an elite Henrik Lundqvist next year. Guys of his caliber, like, you know, Wah, Brodeur, were very successful later on in their career. They might not have been at this level, but they were very successful. There is no reason to think mm-hmm. that it can't happen. But life without Lundqvist is going to be a dark, barren place. I don't know. Yeah, well, and I, 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 I don't I, know if they want to answer for that because that will be their legacy. Glenn Sather's legacy will be he was the general manager who let Henrik Lundqvist go winless. He may not care about that. Vigneault and Tortorella will have that legacy. Tortorella has his name on the cup. He doesn't care. Vigneault is just as much of a journeyman in that regard as Lundqvist is. Always great, but never good enough. With Vigneault, you can actually tag the never good enough on it because I think his decisions and his actions helped hurt his teams in terms of winning the Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. Not with the Rangers, but in terms of building the team. For Lundqvist, there is nothing more he can do. So, yeah, it's scary. And that's part of why this is so uncomfortable. But when you really look at loyalty, the decisions the Rangers made over loyalty, they pick loyalty to the wrong people. And the guy who's yep. going to be punished is the guy who was loyal to them from the get-go. Adam, I feel like you've wanted to say something. I've spoken too long. Go I, ahead. I do. I mean, sure. No, that's fine. I have a, I have a few thoughts. I mean, look, uh, like you said, loyalty, we, you know, fans, it's their own prerogative how they feel about winning the cup without Longquist or Longquist going out somewhere else to win the cup or, you know, whatever else. Obviously, they're entitled to their feelings about that. Jeff Gordon's job is not to, you know, kind of be the emotion doctor where he's, you know, kind of making sure everybody has, you know, their emotions in check and, you know, like everyone's feeling good about life. Uh, his job is to make the New York Rangers win the Stanley Cup. And if that's without Henry Longquist, then, you know, that's, it is what it is. Um, you know, so he has to do what's best for this team. Um, I mean, again, you know, when you throw loyalty and emotion to, into it, uh, a lot of bad decisions are made. Um, that's why the Los Angeles Kings didn't use an amnesty buyout on Mike Richards. It wasn't because of an objective evaluation of the situation. It was because of feelings and emotions. Um, you know, and you look at one team that doesn't ever, you know, kind of fall victim to that aspect of, of it, of decision-making, is the New England Patriots, you know. Bill Belichick, you know, as much as he's a curmudgeon and a miserable, you know, interview and all that, like, he doesn't care who you are. He doesn't care how long he's been on the team. You know, if, if you know, some random, you know, undrafted dude from Wichita, northern, you know, state, whatever, you know, has beaten you to a job, he's going to cut you. You know, he, he, he really, that team really does not care about, about warm feelings and emotions and all that. They care about winning, and they've been pretty damn good at it over the last, you know, 15 years. Um, so, so look, you know, and I've said this before, as much as, um, you know, kind of giving up uh, on, on winning one with the cup here would suck, what would suck more is living in denial about it and continuing to build underwhelming teams in some desperate uh, attempt at winning the cup and not winning one anyway, and having, you know, a big mess on your hands for the next five years afterwards. So, you know, at the end of the day, luckily, it's not, it's not a situation the Rangers have to worry about immediately, but at some point, as much as it's hard to fathom, you know, uh, they have to imagine life after Longquist, because um, it, it's going to come at some point, whatever, whatever it may be, and you know, like we, we joked about, you know, Dan Girardi, Lundqvist, whatever before, but ask any Red Sox fan, you know, if they regret trading Nomar Garcia-Para 
uh, prior to winning the 2004 World Series, you know, as as much. And he's not quite where Lundqvist is with the Rangers, but he's pretty damn close in terms of icon status, legend status with the Red Sox. And look, they won the, they won the World Series without him. And, you know, it's a bit bittersweet, sure, but ask any Red Sox fan if they regret it. The other thing that I, I wanted to touch on, and we're we're giving you your money's worth. If you're listening to this podcast right now, <laughs> you are. This is Tony, like on steroids. I, I talked about this when we were when I wrote my story about Vigneault. The Rangers brought Vigneault in to be a different voice. Glenn Sather brought him in, like Adam said, to be the finishing aspect of bringing the Rangers to win the Stanley Cup. That Tortorella couldn't get close enough, and that you know he needed Vigneault to be that guy that got them over the edge. Vigneault is totally different from Tortorella on the surface, but they are kind of the same coach. Vigneault prefers mm-hmm. to catch his flies with honey rather than vinegar. I did the whole part of the story about how both of them kind of treat the media the same way in terms of the end goal. Vigneault is nicer to them, but he doesn't give them any more information. Tortorella is mean, but he doesn't give them any information. It's like having two houses that are exactly the same structure, exactly the same infrastructure, but they're painted two vastly different colors. A lot of what Vigneault did last year, a lot of the breakdowns from this calm, cool, collective, never goes after his players publicly guy, Vigneault looked like John Tortorella a lot last year. And that's a scary thing. So we've talked about how the third year of a coach is the most critical year in terms of their development with the team, because you have two years of the same message. And if it hasn't worked, guys start to tune you out after the third year. I have no reason to believe that that happened to the Rangers last year. But if the message isn't different this year, what is to make any of those guys buy into the system? And I don't think the message is going to be all that different if Tanner Glass and, you know, these guys make the team. If Girardi and Stahl are are still struggling and and still take enormous leaps uh, in terms of the responsibility on the ice. There are so many questions. These guys are not robots. Look at some of the comments Team USA made about the quality of team that they had, talking about how they needed to grit out wins and talking about how, you know, with the talent that they have, they can't just run and gun with Canada. These guys aren't morons. So I look at this team, and I see such a bright future. I really do. Lundqvist or not, the Rangers are young. The core of this team is young. The core of this team that was the core of the team in 2014 is 26 and 27 years old. There are three or four years of absolute prime out of those guys, plus the 21, 22, 23-year-old kids that are going to grow. And then three years from now, they're only going to be 26 years old. But it only matters if the Rangers move the organization in the right direction. And I think Gordon is going to do that. It's just a matter of whether or not Vigneault is going to be standing in the way, and he's something that he has to get rid of, or whether or not Vigneault is going to take the Rangers there. And let's be honest, for all the faults that Vigneault has, his system is brilliant. He just needs the right players to fill the right roles. His flaws, he does not know how to pick the right players to fill those roles. So when it works, it's amazing. And when it doesn't work, it's catastrophic. It's just like a soccer team that plays very attacking, you know, beautiful, desirable, all you want, soccer. If it works, it is the greatest thing in the world. And if it doesn't, it is a catastrophe. And that's sort of where the Rangers are. They're on this cusp. The Rangers cannot make the playoffs this year, and I could be thrilled with what they put together. The Rangers did not – well, the Rangers made the playoffs this year, got blown out in the first round, and it was a disaster. I don't think this year is set up for that, especially if they don't buy in, especially if you unload a guy like Peary at the trade deadline for 
valuable assets or if you keep him because you're moving forward, maybe the Rangers got to trade a Miller or a Shea or someone for Trouble or whatever it is. Trading Broussard to get Zibanejad is a great move, and I'm not just talking about yesterday. It's a great move for this team because you're trading a guy at the right time and you're getting a better, younger player out of it. The Rangers have the ability to keep making moves like that, and the Rangers have the ability to be a very good team. It's just whether or not they're going to get there. And I think Gordon wants to take them there, and I think he thinks very similar to the way the four of us think. But I don't know if Vigneault is long for this team if he doesn't. And again, this may all be very premature. Glass could go down in two days. You have no idea. I don't think that's going to happen. But, again, I don't think he's going to make the team either. So there's a lot to watch. This podcast definitely – we spent the entire time talking about how we we're not going to take too much into a preseason game, and now we're talking about life after Lundquist and all this fun stuff. But I, I think – I do think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. I really do. I see a lot of good things out of this team, and I – even after just yesterday, I feel so much more confident about the leadership group. I think Chris Jury was a great acquisition. I feel really good about who the Rangers have in charge, except for the head coach. And that might not last very long. Does anyone have Joe, any final I... thoughts? You can. Yeah, Joe, I mean, I just want to put out there, and this is more of a question, and weirdly, it, Mike is going to laugh, but, you know, it comes from covering the Riveters and actually getting to person after almost every game talk to the players, but the question remains the same. One of the things I always said about Chad Wiseman was the pieces you have do not make the machine that you are trying to make. You know, you can keep jamming them together, but they do not make that thing. So you have to figure out another thing. Um, And the way you just described Vigneault was that he's got a beautiful system. He just needed the players to execute it. I mean, but doesn't there have to be a point where a coach said, this is what, I mean, where part of coaching becomes, this is what I have and I have to alter what I want to do to use the assets in front of me. Well, that's his flaw. I mean, that's why he got fired in Vancouver. All the things that led to him getting fired in Vancouver are sort of happening in New York. And I think that's going to be a big part of his evolution, whether or not he's, on this team come three or four months from now is him realizing that because I don't want to get too deep into this, but Vigneault exists in two realities. There's the reality on the ice, the reality that you and I live in, the reality that we know, and there's the reality that he portrays to the media, to the Mm -hmm. media. He's a coach who holds players accountable. You can't make bad turnovers. You got to be smart with the puck. You can't take bad penalties. You don't lose your job just because you're sick. Yada, yada, yada. 90% of the players get held to those standards. Then the reality on the ice is Kevin Hayes gets scratched. Tanner Glass plays every single game. McElrath can't get into the game, but Dan Girardi and Mark Stahl are playing enormous minutes. It creates a vortex, and if it's not handled properly, eventually it's going to suck everything into it. And that's sort of where I think Vigneault is now. He's sort of on the edge of this whirlpool, and whether or not he navigates the ship out of it is up to him changing the way that he's sort of captain the ship. And I agree with you. You talk to the coach after every game. I think for a lot of the past two years, Mignot has jabbed pieces into a machine that don't work. It's like putting the wrong pieces into a puzzle. It sort of looks okay, but you can see that things aren't right. And if you want to win the Stanley Cup, like the, you have to be a well-oiled machine. Your flaws have to be less than the other guy's flaws. And that was not the case last year or the year before. And it certainly won't be the case this year if we, it's back to the same old, same old. Adam, anything you want to throw in there? 
Yeah, just real quickly. Um, I'm I'm a big um, European soccer fan, and the way things work in Europe with the soccer teams is that um, they have a plan from the youth system up um, that management plans, and they implement it at the youth level for the 12-year-olds, for the 16-year-olds, the 18-year-olds, um, the kind of the team of reserves, and then the first, the the you know main the main team, and they look for a coach that fits that plan that they want, that the style of play they want to have, the, the, the identity they want to have. Um, here in North America, we kind of have a bit of a backwards view on it where, um, you know, the coach has his plan and the players, the players need to buy into it. And if they don't, you know, if they're not buying into it, you know, like they're not doing their job and they're a distraction. Um, and I, I, I think it's very silly. I think, um, you know, the Rangers should be, you know, like that. Obviously, they can't do it quite to the youth level that they do in soccer, but, you know, they should be drafting players with an identity in mind, with a, with a tactical system in mind. Um, they should be developing players with that system in mind. They should be signing players, trading players with that system in mind. And then they should be finding their coach that is right for, for this plan. Um, you know, and I think that's how it should be. The Rangers need to build an identity from, from the ground up and they need to tell Elaine Vigneault, you know, like, or maybe not even tell him, you know, depending on how they feel, just like, look, you're not the right guy for this. Um, we need to find the guy who's going to buy into our system instead of having uh, everything built around your system. Um, because the reality of um, NHL is even the best coaches hang around, you know, four or five years with, with uh, each team. So I think the Rangers need to be very careful with how they – um, build their team this year because, you know, building their team with Vigneault in mind right now might be uh, a big mistake if, you know, he's not even here 18 months from now. So I think it's obviously a very important preseason, more so than any other in recent history, in memory. Um, and, you know, uh, we'll see how it plays out. Um, but, you know, that's my last thought. But quickly, I want to just ask Mike, because he's been very negative, Tonight. So I just want to end on a on a positive note and ask Mike his thoughts on puppies. <laughs> See if you can well, say something positive, Mike. There's not a lot to like about puppies, really. Oh my god! <laughs> you know we've broken they're, three they're rules easy to on this throw, podcast. You know, you, you, you don't make fun religion, of Brian Leach, but not really. You don't make fun of Brian Leach. You don't make fun of how handsome Henry Lundquist is, and you don't make fun of puppies. I didn't make fun of puppies. They spoke the truth. They're stupid. Feels such a fascist. I think they're adorable, but you know, you you could uh, just saying a puppy is easily thrown, and that's one of nature's (laughs) best designs. Oh, oh god! And they're not going to tell anyone, you know, because they can't talk. That's the beauty of it. It's the perfect crime. I thought the Lundquist stuff was the darkest turn we were going to take on this podcast. That was way darker. <laughs> you uh, talked about thing... having no afterlife earlier. Don't talk no, 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 no. I said, I said <laughs> some <laughs> people <laughs> believe that. I don't believe that. I just said some people believe that. So Blue now, now has... the podcast is not I think secular. we need a disclaimer or something. The Blue Shirt Panther has acquired fans from all over the world, and I'm sure they're of all different religions and beliefs, and we are not discriminatory towards any of them. They can believe what they want and still love the Rangers. That's the beauty of life, I guess. But I'm not revealing religions. <laughs> for what it again. is. He just sings yeah. from the shadows. Uh, I, the only thing I will add, again, we're, we're way over, but um, 
I think this is the Robot best podcast we've done at this point, so this is great. Uh, Adam, to your point, I think the Rangers stayed away from a lot of players during the tail end of the Tortorella years because of sort of the way that he ran the team. And who knows if the Rangers would have taken Tarasenko instead of McElrath, but the Rangers kind of stayed away from that European aspect of the draft when Tortorella was in charge. And it's amazing to see what the trajectory would have been if the Rangers didn't go for those gritty North American type of players and they went more towards skill and speed. Even Columbus now is kind of gearing back towards what Tortorella was. And like Adam is a good point. You got to pick what you want to do and then do it from there. So I think that's a, a topic for another podcast. This is uh, this was very good. I'm very, this is probably the best podcast we've had. Adam, you were like the Clint Denning of this podcast. You were sort of the, the catalyst <laughs> moving the fuck around. I will be the best. Dad, Beth, Beth, you could be Buchnevich. Mike, you, uh, Yay! uh, you could be uh, you could be Kreider. Oh my God, this is just. Um, so I sort of teased to it before at the worst possible time, but uh, we have we're launching shirts for the podcast and for the uh, the website. Mike designed a crab logo for the crab person, and they're pretty cool. So we're gonna get a link within the next couple of days where you guys can go buy them. You should buy them because they are going to be awesome. And it says Blue Shirt Panther on it too. And then people will know that you're fans. And maybe at the Ranger game, I'll see you wearing the shirt and I'll be like, hey, I'm Joe. And then you'll punch me in the face because you hate me. <laughs> I don't know how these things go, but I'm pretty sure that's how it works. So um, thank you all for listening. Thank you, Adam, uh, for joining us. We'll probably have you on next week too if you want because we'll, we'll keep digging through the prospects and you are the residential prospect expert. Uh, to Beth and Mike, thank you guys. Anything, any final non-bad puppy related thoughts that any of you would like to throw out there to the masses? Yeah, I feel like Joe just invited me on a second date. You are invited you know on a second date. Beth he and Mike does that, Don't in, get too invested. In, in perpetual dating <laughs> status. This was our seventh date and it really hasn't gone anywhere, so. Um, well, thank you guys for listening. Like I said, the, the support of the show has been ridiculous. Our all-time listens numbers have have really been ridiculous. Uh, we appreciate it. Um, you can find us on all those fun places I told you before, iTunes, Stitcher, now Google Play, Vlog Talk Radio. Please subscribe to us however you listen to us. Please give us nice ratings. It helps other people find us and kind of expands the show a little bit. Thank you to all of you who are in the chat room. This one was much bigger than last week's was, so... That is nice to see, too. And uh, hopefully we have good things to talk about next week as well. The Rangers are uh, are back. It's a good feeling. Yeah, Jimmy B.C., Pavel Buchnevich, all that fun stuff. So thank you, guys. This is the longest episode we've ever had. I feel pretty good about it. But uh, we will talk to you next week. Good night. Bye-bye. Puppies rule. Puppies rule.